Hey guys, before we get into the episode, you all know I'm a huge fan of fashion and I have been ever since I was a little girl. And my first job, by the way, was actually at Macy's. And my love for fashion began when I started there because I worked in the fragrance department, but of course my eye was always on the clothes and the makeup and everything related to style. But here's the thing, my relationship with Macy's didn't end once my days of asking people walking by if they wanted a sample of the latest scents came to an end. Nearly 20 years later, I still find myself choosing Macy's time and time again for literally everything. It's become a really beautiful full circle moment that they've been such amazing supporters of our show for so long. And when it comes to shopping, they have everything you need, whether I need a last minute outfit or Kevin needs a last minute outfit for our friend's wedding. We always head to Macy's. They've got us covered. So if you're in need of some retail therapy, perhaps, or looking to spruce up your home or your lifestyle, check out Macy's friends. I've curated a list of some of my favorite items that have helped me upgrade so many parts of my life, really my fashion the most, but of course home and baby and so much more. So check the link in the description and happy shopping Hill Squad. I'm on a journey to get better in all areas of life, from wellness and mental health to career and relationships and so much more. I know getting better isn't easy, but it's a whole lot easier when you can do it together. Welcome to Better Together with me, Maria Menunos. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to Better Together. When you know better, you get better. That's what we do here every single day. Even the day after V-Day. That's right. That's right. All right. Our quote of the day. I think the problem is we depend on lovers to love us the way we should love ourselves. Mm -hmm. Drop the mic. Mark Groves, our guest today. Mm -hmm. He is a human connection specialist. Um, We're chatting with him, of course, on this lovely Valentine's Day week as we think about relationships. He's going to teach us everything we need to know about ourselves, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, he, like I said, is a human connection specialist, emotional translator, writer, speaker, and coach. He helps our heart make sense. Groves creates online content discussing relationships, connections, and communication through his podcast and his YouTube channel. He also created uh, and founded Create the Love, which is a platform designed to guide users to create the life and love they've always wanted. I uh, am very excited, and we're just going to get right into it because we had the most amazing conversation with Mark, it is really, really full of so many kind of drop the mic moments. Mm-hmm. So get your notebooks out, get your pen. Because this is one of those <laughs> where you really want to take some notes. But here's the thing. Don't worry. MariaManunos.com. We will have the best takeaway from this interview on there. So do not worry. Um, now that we have that resource with the website, you Amen. can always um, get to see it there. So our, uh, our team here will work really diligently to make sure you don't miss any of these amazing book titles and quotes and aha moments that uh, gave us breakthroughs. Hopefully we'll give you breakthroughs. So let's get into it with Mark. So what is a human connection specialist exactly? And how did you get into all of this? Yeah, I, I mean, the term itself just it felt like it was such a fit for where my interests and passions were. My my passion for discovering like, why do humans succeed in relationships sometimes and others not? Like what makes a really good relational human being? And my 
passion originally was in sales. So it was in studying, how do I get someone to change their behavior, to choose this product over another? And I had a relationship that ended. And when that relationship ended, I started to ask myself things like, why am I so good at talking about everything but my feelings? Like there's obviously something greater going on here. So I started to study romantic relationships. You know, as I said, like, why do they, why do some last and, and thrive and others last and they don't even like each other? Like that didn't make sense to me either. And why do some fall apart? And what is the skill set that goes into having really great relationships? And what I started to see because my work was really born from a desire to learn for myself first is that I started to see that most people I knew were struggling with these things and no one was being taught it. And yet this is the most important skill set we could ever develop in our lives. It will have the greatest impact on our health and the quality of our lives. And we're not taught it in school. And I started to write about it because of that. I started to write about the things I was learning and it led to me starting an Instagram account that's called Create the Love, and uh, everything just sort of went from there. So let's talk about relationships and why some last and some don't. What have you found? Well, there's there's habits and rituals that really successful couples have that are different. How they navigate conflict is different. You know, we often hear people say, uh, you know, we're, I'm in such a good relationship. We never fight. Well, hmm. fighting is not the absence of fighting is not actually a sign of success. It, really great couples just navigate conflict differently. Conflict becomes a bridge to intimacy, to understanding, to uh, learning more about our partners. You know, ultimately our relationships are where all of our wounds really occur as children and as young adults. And that's where they have to be healed. I mean, we can do enough work on our own, but ultimately it's when we're in relationship with other people that we put those skills that we think we've figured out when we're single. You know, you hear people say all the time, I'm, I was single and I thought I had all my stuff figured out. And then they start dating and they're like, ah, oh, I don't, everything's falling apart. And it's because we have to start to use these skills and have our needs bump up against others. I'd say mm. um, one of the greatest skills of really successful couples is that they also actually don't leave their partner in pain. Like there's an intention and a priority to repair. I was repairing this morning. <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> it's so funny that like the day you have somebody on that's about relationships and whatever is when you are actually having your, your fights and having to make sure they don't leave unhappy, angry, right. sad, in despair or anything like that, which makes you late for your interview because <laughs> you have to make sure you repair. I like that. You have to repair. I know I'm. it's hard for me to go to sleep if we're upset with each other. I do it sometimes and I just suffer in agony all night because it's just like I feel like my heart's exploding out of my chest and then his is next to me and the energy is so intense because both of us are feeling the same way. So normally I'll just fix it or repair it repair. before I have to sleep like that overnight. Um, I think it's really interesting to talk about the the childhood programs and traumas that really can affect your relationship because... It's interesting the way you put it, it sounds like people are really aware of them. And I find people aren't aware of them. Yeah. And that's where the issue usually lies. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I gave the wrong impression. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. Most of us 
really have very little awareness of our relational patterns. Uh, I think that's for a few reasons. One, we're not invited to actually do audits of ourselves and our lives and how we show up relationally. You know, when we think even about when we look at memes and the meme has like an old couple that, you know, they're maybe in their 90s and it says, oh, how did you do it? You've been together 75 years. And it says, oh, well, we take commitment. We took commitment seriously back then. You know, it's as if, you know, I think we can all know some couple that's been together a long time who actually don't really like each other anymore. But why is it that we tend to stay together in relationships like that? Well, it's because we've all been socialized that how long your relationship lasts is actually the ultimate sign of relational success. Mm -hmm. And while I would argue that it is an indicator of relational success, your ability to navigate conflict and the depth of your relationship is far more indicative. You could know a couple that's been together six months who has way more depth, intimacy, and understanding of one another than a couple who's been together 75 years. And there's, and because of that, fear of ending relationships, a lot of us just stay stagnant and stuck in relationships in the same patterns. We just settle. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, there's no reason to inquire and to wonder about our behaviors because are we actually going to change them? You know, and the other side of that is recognizing that we are the common denominator in all of our relational outcomes is painful. I mean, mm. if, if it's a lot harder to say, wait, I'm responsible for everything and everyone that I'm in relationship with, I'm responsible for the choice of being in relationship. Yes. And that's an incredibly empowering level of awareness, or it's incredibly crippling because when we recognize that how we handle conflict is not functional and not productive, then that means we need to change it. And what is behind our, let's call them dysfunctional communication behaviors is pain is like unattended to pain. Like when I shut down or get highly critical or defensive, I'm not doing it because I'm a malicious person. I'm doing it because I learned it. I learned it from my family. I don't have to go very far up a family tree to see the exact same behavior, likely in a dance with the exact same behavior, like my mom and dad, maybe in a relational dance that's very similar to the dance I'm in with my partner. And, and just knowing that it's not our fault, but it is our responsibility, that's when everything changes. Hey, Hill Squad and Better Together fam. It's been a tough year, but we hear from so many of you just how much our content is helping you heal and get better, and it makes us feel so good. Our team works so hard to deliver this life-changing content, and a lot of you guys ask, how can I have a bigger role in our Heal Squad community, or how can I do my part to help Better Together continue to uplift even more people? First of all, thank you for that sentiment, and we're so grateful for this community. If you could help us by giving us a five-star rating and a comment on Apple Podcasts, that's amazing. Second, you could join the Better Together with Maria Menounos Instagram page. Third, you could share the show with a friend in need. And finally, for as little as $10 a month, please join our Patreon to get monthly live heal events with world-class healers, ad-free episodes of our show, and even weekly bonus episodes exclusive to Patreon. Getting better isn't easy, but it is a whole lot better when we can do it together. We love and appreciate and are so grateful for all of you.
not our fault, but our <clears throat> responsibility. Mm-hmm. People have such a hard time taking responsibility though. Like, what do you say? How do we even become aware of it? And then like start to learn to take the responsibility. Good question, queen. Thank you. That is a good question. I mean, it's, I think it shapes every part of every aspect of our lives. This is why I love romantic relationships because they're a magnifying glass to everything we're bad at. So, (laughs) you know, it's, if you're bad at boundaries or bad at communication, you're going to be really bad at it in romantic relationships. And so you'll start to see that leak into work, relationship with family, relationship with food, relationship with body. You see it everywhere. And taking responsibility for our lives is, of course, the most liberating thing we can do. But the moment you decide to take responsibility for every moment and every behavior and whatever, every outcome that we contribute to, then you have to process the truth that you have not done that up until that very moment you decide it. So that's hard because you look back and you go, wait, I've been supposedly an active participant in my life this whole time. And you realize that you haven't. And that's because our unconscious mind and our unconscious patterns and behaviors really run our lives till we decide to change that. But that takes a lot of work. <laughs> I know. It does, man. It so takes much a ton work. of work. It takes humility. You got to eat a lot of humble pie. And we all know humble pie doesn't <laughs> taste very good. It's actually awful. It's like Brussels sprouts mixed with, I don't even know, old fish. <laughs> Unmarinated Brussels sprouts. Yeah. 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 Like plain. Uh, no raw, vinegar. Uh, no nothing. The worst. You know, it's, um, I think it's hard because a lot of people enter relationships so young. So it's almost like you don't even have a chance because we're all carrying some shit along the way. And then, and then you'll get stuck in these patterns, you know, you'll date the same kind of guys and you'll, or the date the same kind of girls Mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, How do people really honestly assess themselves? Do they have to, you know, I mean like how, how do you do this? Like we're all kind of, trained to start dating at a certain age and then everyone has their like you know fairy tale okay i'm gonna be married by this and have kids by that and now of course that fairy tale's changed to i'm gonna be the ceo by this and i'm gonna do this by then and then maybe i'll think about kids like it's all shifting but relationships are something that we're you know we're starting very quickly i mean kids like young kids have like you know little relationships and so is it something where, you know, people should really start to, you know, get into therapy and explore things so that they're on that journey <clears throat> while they're dating and then they can kind of start to see things in that mirror, like you were saying? Like, what's the best way to approach this? Because it seems kind of really freaking hard until you're in something you care about and then you have to deal with it and then it's too late and there's so much water under the bridge or whatever. Mm. Yeah, so many of our moments where we wake up in relationship are often where we realize it might be too late to rescue that thing or change that behavior. And that that's why breakups and relational challenges are an invitation to always go in and look at the pattern. Because, you know, I meet couples all the time who argue about the same shit over and over again, mm-hmm. but they're not actually arguing about the content they're arguing about. They're they're navigating that neither of them have dealt with unmet needs. You know, like we get upset about, let's say, a wet towel on the bed or leaving the toilet seat up, which is, you know, it's funny when they fall in, but it's not. You know, we think <laughs> that it's about the toilet seat or whatever it might be, but it's actually about the fact that maybe we've expressed a need to them 
over and over and you do, we don't feel heard. We don't feel prioritized. So to answer your question, I mean, really relational education should begin actively in school. It should be beginning when they're in middle school, you know, when, and unfortunately that's not a truth. So how does someone, you know, like myself, I woke up after an engagement that ended at 27. And when I say woke up, I, I really think of awakening being starting to ask questions like, why do I do what I do? Why do I react the way I do? Because every relational pattern generally comes from your family tree. And we might be the first person who took the time to stop and say, I don't want to actually recreate what my family keeps recreating in every generation and every relationship. And when we finally be the, or when we are finally the first person to hit pause and not jump from relationship to relationship, not keep installing Tinder or whatever we might be using, but actually just take this moment to take some space and ask these really important questions. Because if we don't navigate it and we don't process our unprocessed pain, the fact that Maybe our parents weren't attentive or around or our dad was an alcoholic, our mom was a narcissist, whatever it might be. If we don't, all of our unattended pain will become patterns in relationship and they will repeat themselves. That is a promise till we might be the first person, as I said, to look up the tree and go, OK, what would you give me? And, you know, it's like bags just falling on your head because that's certainly what it feels like. Um, but then we're the first person to do it. And then we don't pass it down to the next generation. We deal with the inherited behaviors and traumas that that all of us have till we we, we stop and pay attention. Yeah. So what are those <laughs> questions you have to ask yourself? What are those important questions? Uh, first, what are the relationship patterns that I see that keep playing out? What type of people am I attracted to? Because for the most part, we're going to be attracted to people who wound us in a similar way to a parent or a caregiver Ooh. who wounded us the most. Oh. Take notes, Madison. <laughs> this is awesome. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the most I found. Madison's our intern most... on, the sh- on the call right now <laughs> watching. She's taking notes because Pooja normally takes notes. She's editing. So I was like, Kelsey, come out and do this. So Madison, when you hear me ooing and eyeing and going, whoa, or what, those are my very blatant cues that that's something we need to mark in the notes. <laughs> those are the cues. Okay. It's it's written bold in the notes right now. Perfect. Thank you. I try to make your job easy. Sometimes people miss my cue. So I'm going to be very clear in my communication. Anyhow, carry on, Mark. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate that. I'm, yeah, so we tend to be drawn to people who wound us in a similar way to a parent who wounded us the most. Listen, an, an, an emotional wound is really an unmet need and all of us have them. And, and we might think of it like if your hand touches a stove and you burn it, you likely are not going to touch stove with your hand anymore. It's similar with love. If when we opened our hearts as kids, which were born with them open and we were hurt or unattended to or whatever it might be, we then change our behavior around love. We change our behavior around connection. Mm-hmm. Now, the wild thing is, let's say, for example, Uh, that my father traveled a lot and wasn't around when I was a kid. 
I might as a as an adult be drawn to people who are long distance. I might be drawn to people who work shift work. I might be drawn to people who are unavailable. And I also might do the opposite in order to never feel that I had a parent who was around that that what me might feel like neglect. I might be drawn to people who are around too much, who are controlling, who are smothering, who are overwhelming. I haven't learned how to sit in the space that an adult has to navigate, which is there's let's stop pursuing people who aren't available. Let's stop uh, allowing people to enmesh and smother our space. So what happens is, is that when we're drawn to that space, what we're really, when we're recreating these relational patterns as adults is we're being invited to learn new behaviors. We're being invited to learn the skill that we needed as a kid. Now, often, you know, obviously as a kid, when you're like five and your parent isn't around, you can't just pack your bags and, you know, start a different life. You have to stay within the space. And so what happens is, is often, let's say chaos or unavailability actually starts to be associated with love and connection. Mm. And so we might wonder, why am I drawn to people who have glaring red flags? Well, if toxicity and unreliability were normal for you as a kid, then it will feel normal for you as an adult. And when someone is actually present and able to show up for you, you might not be comfortable with that because it's just unfamiliar. And this is why we can know, oh, I want a really healthy relationship, but yet I can choose what is not one. And that tells me all the time that there is a belief or a old familiar pattern that's operating in the unconscious that is not allowing me to break free and create a different experience. Um, and so one of the questions I ask people to just identify what is that feeling is, what is, uh, what is a need that I wanted to have met that was just never met when I was young? And usually it's something like I wanted to feel understood. I wanted to feel prioritized. I wanted to feel important. I wanted to feel safe. It's usually some iteration of that. And it's fascinating when we start to look at our adult relationships because we're like, wait, that's exactly the feeling that I have is this longing for whatever that thing might be. And the irony being too, that of course we think, oh, well, my partner is the one who does this. I must not do anything. <laughs> but of course there's the opposite is happening for our partner. Uh, and ultimately what it's doing is, and this is why I love relationships, is they are a container that says, let's heal the things that were unattended to so we can both grow up and start to meet our own needs and then show up as two sovereign, independent adults in a relationship that can share love, which is ultimately why we're here. <laughs> that sounds funny. Two sovereign, independent people coming together. <laughs> right. Like, where, like that do those, where do those people exist? Yeah, I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, after I work with them, yes, there are a few unicorns out there. Um, when you're on the go 24-7 like me, guys, finding ways to make life easier is so important for my health and sanity. <laughs> and that's exactly what my friends at Macy's do for me. From working there as a teenager to now going to them for so many of my daily essentials, it's been my go-to for so many years. And having everything in one place is such a time saver for me. With being a first-time mom, for a while now, as you know, I've had plenty of those and being able to rely on them for all the things has been amazing. Plus having everything in one place has made being a new mom just a little bit easier for me. So I know we're all focusing on our families, our health, hopefully our jobs and everything in between, but 
It's time to make your life a little easier. And to help you out, I've curated all of my essentials from Macy's for you and the whole fam. All the details are in the show notes below, or you can just click the link in the description to get your hands on them too. I have some new picks on there. This little bomber jacket, this little black dress. You're going to love it. <clears throat> so Queens. Yeah. Pooja, Kelsey. Queens. Queens. <clears throat> Everybody's a queen. Everybody's a queen here. Um, started as a joke. Now we can't get away. It from started it. as a joke. <laughs> now, now I call everyone a queen, and I'm I'm embarrassed as it flows off my tongue because I'm like they don't know right. that we're kidding. It's hilarious. <laughs> anyway, um, when he says, "What do you think your unmet needs were as a kid?" Oof. Can you identify them? Yeah. What do you think? I know. For me, my dad was not around a lot, and it wasn't because he was like bad dad he was just working all the time Mm -hmm. and when he was there we fought and so i know for me like mark when you said that people who go after people with massive red flags i'm like yup like i'll have my friends be like dude he that guy literally just said that he's afraid of commitment and i'm like yeah i love him i'm obsessed with him (laughs) so i know that that for me is it's almost like a chase thing because my dad, I know, wasn't there. So when he was there, I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, kind of running after him. So so, so would you say, Mark, that when he was there, they were fighting because she was mad he wasn't there? Probably. When he was there, what? So, so to me, quickly, as a fake therapist, I'm realizing <laughs> that when her dad wasn't there, so she was mad. So that when he did get there, she was mad. And that's why they fought. She probably was picking the fights with him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we we often use those types of things like... Uh, kids who uh, are misbehave all the time, they're trying to get attention and love. You know, it's like if, if fighting works, right. If when dad gets home, we show that we're upset and then dad attunes to us or tries to repair or whatever, then we will likely seek conflict in relationship for connection just because we learn that. And Mm. that's the thing is the childhood patterns we have in communication, they tend to work. So then as adults, you know, like if I go hide in my room and I'm upset as a kid and then my mom comes later, maybe, and says, hey, are you okay? Then as an adult, I'll likely be the one who goes to my room and slams the door or shuts down because I know that it might get my need met. It's not adulting, Mm. though. That's the this is why the famous saying adulting is hard because it is damn hard. It's hard to stay and say I'm hurting right now. That's, That's so vulnerable. Yeah. But it's also liberating. Pooja, do you have one? Do you have an unmet need? <laughs> oh, God. I don't know. Uh, you're putting us on the spot, Maria. I know. Because <laughs> I need you guys to step in as I'm trying to figure out my own shit. <laughs> Hello. Oh God. I don't know. That's why there are co-hosts in the room. I have another one. I'll give you another one. <laughs> okay, go ahead. You go. Okay, another you one. You be of, thinking, Pete. Yeah, you think. Another one of mine I know is... I, in my family was like the stronger one. Like I'm a super emotional person, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't allowed to be outwardly emotional. So when it comes to relationships, I'm like terrified of showing any emotion because I think that they're going to think I'm crazy because that's kind of how I felt growing up. Mm. And so there's another one of mine. Hello. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you notice like we just keep recreating the same relational experiences. Oh, yeah. If I believe that I'm too much, if I share my feelings, then I'm not going to do it. It's really interesting, though, because what happens is, is then I don't feel like I'm safe to share it, but I've actually never created an environment that's safe to share it. So I live Mm -hmm. in the perpetual experience of being imprisoned in my own emotional experience. Mm -hmm. Um, So they didn't provide it for you, but you're not providing it for you either. Yeah. And and that's the hard part is like, 
as a survival strategy, it was important as a kid. It kept safety. It kept it mm-hmm. so yeah. the family functioned. Right. But as an adult, it's not helpful because I don't feel seen. I don't feel heard. But yet I'm the one who's not hearing or seeing myself because I'm not. So when we mm-hmm. avoid chaos externally in order to protect whatever emotional experience is happening, we actually internalize it. That's the hard part. It shows up as anxiety, as depression. It shows up as um, dysfunctions or dis- sorry, dysfunctional relationships with things like food, our phones, addictions, right? Because we're mm-hmm. soothing the pain of self-abandonment. We're soothing the pain of not self-expressing. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, we're the ones who have to create it. You know, it, it takes a whole different level of courage. That's why we always have to have compassion about where these come from. Because the first time someone speaks words about their emotions and they never have, they are literally changing generations. Like, that's why it's not just, oh, well, just share how you feel. It's safe. Just do it. And somatically, our body is like, no, no. And your throat is like, I, I'm not even going to work. I'm not even going to work for you. And so when we have to realize that actually sharing that feeling, which we think when we do it is validated by their response to our feeling. But what has to shift is that you use your own voice so that you can hear it, not so someone else can validate what you're saying. Like the actual transformative experience is in the sound making, not in the reception of the sound. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, well, that's a hard why, place to get to. That's why also I was like, oh, it's important for you to say it out loud. Yeah. Because then you have to identify it. Because yeah. I remember there was a moment, I think it was like late last summer where I was like, Kelsey, you can't not have any emotion to what I'm talking to yeah. you about right now. Oh, yeah. It was like a really mm-hmm. extreme thing that happened. Yeah. They're like, wait, no, and you she was should like, be feeling. She was right. like, oh, oops. And I'm like, yeah, wait, yeah. no, it's not an oops. This is a really horrible thing that happened. Why are you not emoting? Yeah. And I think that might have been the beginning of your journey oh, to yeah. start figuring out why you weren't. I think so too. When I And it's it's an interesting journey because and I feel like a lot of people probably Because who relate. else pointed that out to you? No one. And, and But it was always like this fight with myself because I know I'm so emotional, but I wouldn't outwardly show it. Mm-hmm. And Mark, you actually gave me on our pre kind of a good breakthrough too with, I was asking you about what if you feel like, you know, you feel a connection with someone, but you're like scared to tell them and you tell them and then they kind of like shut you down and then you feel stupid and this whole thing and you, to back back to what you were just saying, it's like this re-triggering process, like, a wound that you've never attended. And I was like, damn, like I got a lot of those, which I think a lot of people do, but we just never address them. Will you explain that? The part where you express yourself and then you tell someone that you like them and maybe they shut you down. Yeah. I mean, if we think about it, the majority of the time that we don't share about what we actually want in a relationship or what we're actually looking for. I hear people all the time when we're talking about them in dating processes and they'll say, well, I don't want to tell them what I'm looking for because I might scare them away. Mm. I'm like, that's actually literally the best way to scare people away is to tell them what you're looking for because then they're not a match for you. Someone who's a match for you will sprint towards the same thing. You know, and it's recognizing that that fear of rejection or betrayal or abandonment, whatever it might be, it's still living in my experience. Like my childhood fear of being rejected and not loved back is holding me back from expressing these words. So when I finally express the words, knowing that I'm going to be okay, no matter what they say back to me, that's actually this really interesting transition that occurs, which is previously, and Gabor Mate talks about this, that 
all humans have two needs. We have the need to self-express and to be authentic, and we have the need to belong. But when self-expression and authenticity threaten belonging, belonging usually wins, which basically means if being part of a group, a family, a relationship, a culture, a religion requires that I silence my self-expression and my authenticity, I usually will. So I can grow up my whole life never actually speaking my truth so that my family will love me, mm-hmm. and so that my religion will love me or whatever it might be, and not realizing that it's never the authentic version of us who's in those relationships. Mm. It's the mask. It's the, the actor. And the same thing starts to occur and occurs in romantic relationships. But what happens is, is when I express and am authentic at the cost of being chosen or belonging, there's this beautiful space that occurs where I'm actually standing fully in myself Mm. and maybe my partner or the person I'm dating or my mom or whoever it is, don't start with your mom. They're always the hardest people to work with, but (laughs) maybe for the first time I experience their rejection, but I actually am feeling this interesting space of experiencing my own acceptance. And that is one of the most challenging things to sit through because the fear of not belonging is alchemizing in you. In a way, it's like cooking you in a good way, because all of a sudden you're in your whole self. And this person who might say, well, if you're going to choose that, then I don't want to be in a relationship with you. And you go, okay. We might collapse and go back. Let me be honest, like the first parts, especially you see when people get divorced, often they will, will get rejected by their families, rejected by the religions. Um, and they're some of the bravest people I think in the world mm-hmm. because they have risked belonging to choose themselves. Yep. And that's why I think breakups and divorces or whatever it might be are some of the most potent gateways to discover ourselves. And they're one of the most liberating, especially because if you're going through a breakup, you know, you might start laying down some boundaries and people are like, just leave her alone. Like she's going through a breakup. Like just, but that, what a great time to just reinvent yourself. All right, friends, let's talk about something we all do. Snack. Trust me. I've definitely overindulged in the past, but as you know, I am focused on my health these days. And I think I found the healthier snack that you don't have to lose out on the flavor. And it's definitely become my go-to. It first came into the house because of Kevin. He was obsessed with wonderful pistachios. And then I got addicted. And now it's in my travel bag. I don't leave home without it. It's in our glove compartments because they don't melt. Right now, my favorite flavor is the sweet chili flavor. It feels like some of the naughtier kind of snacks I used to use where I used to lick my fingers after. Now I lick them and I feel safer. Um, Plus, wonderful pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. That's crazy, guys. So if you're looking for the perfect snack, trust me and head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com to snag a bag of wonderful pistachios. You're going to love them. I remember my mom always struggling with her hair. It's Frizi Maria, my mom would say in her Greek accent. Tiehis, what do you have? I tried so hard to find her products. I wish I could share these products I'm using now with her because I know she would be so happy to finally have good hair days. 
I've always believed that hair is a woman's best accessory. And with Way's new anti-frizz cream, you can ensure that your hair always looks its best without the frizz stealing the spotlight. It's a lightweight cream that not only provides immediate frizz control, but also helps prevent heat damage. And get this, it lasts up to 72 hours. That's three whole days of frizz-free, gorgeous hair. Way seriously has some of my favorite products for taming the frizz. Pro tip, one of my biggest discoveries is using the Way hair oil on the ends of my hair before I dry it. Let me tell you, it's a game changer. Once it's dry, my hair looks so smooth and polished. I don't even need to do anything else. It is incredible. I love it. Frizz-free, up your schedule with Way. Go to the Way. T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter the promo code HEELSQUAD for 15% off any product. That's the way. T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com. Promo code HEELSQUAD. Trust me, you won't regret it. I love that because it sounds like we could actually perhaps label divorce as a brave thing. A hundred percent. Yep. Right. Whereas it has such a stigma for failure and, and there's so much, um, you know, obviously sadness that's going to happen when you've a lot of shame and shame. Exactly. But what you're saying is true. If you have the courage to stand up and choose you at the end of the day, if, if we aren't working, you, you're choosing you, that means that you love yourself enough to go through whatever the pain is to get to the other side, because everyone always say, it says you have to love yourself. You have to love yourself. And I found like none of us really do because we've also been conditioned that like, Oh my God, don't be so full of yourself and all of those things that come with it. So there's so much shame and guilt around loving yourself and oxygen masking first, because the heroes are the ones that get rewarded when they don't put the oxygen mask on first. Ah, And so there's so many things that come at you, but in, in this, um, in this example that you're saying, it's, a really powerful thing to um, to think about it like that. And I, I have to say, I see it in different ways. Like I, I remember, um, you know, I was hosting E! News at one point and people were um, being negative about, you know, Will Smith's kids and the way they were dressing and the way they were doing all these things. And I'm like, but they're individuals. Do you know how hard it is to be an individual? Do you know how scary it is to not wear what everyone else is wearing and do everything everyone else is doing? And and I never thought about it in that context the way you are, where it's like belonging is one of the two most important things that we need as humans. Um, when you're willing to just be who you are, that's where you're really going to thrive and live. But it's just scary to do that. And I've just watched in like our family systems um, – exactly what you just laid out is everyone's muting different parts of themselves to just fit in this world. Mm -hmm. So they can have their fake, happy Thanksgiving. They can have their fake, happy, you know, whatever. And, and just totally, um, ignoring, denying and suppressing what you want and what you need and what you need to say. Damn. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and that's such a powerful position to get to because when one is, as you said, we could see divorce as a courageous act. Of course, there are divorces that are born from complete relational dysfunction and betrayal and cheating. But no matter what, as long as we're looking back as to how it has occurred and what we can learn from it, they can be these incredible spaces of liberation. My fiance was married before we met and divorced. Um, and it's one of the things I loved most about her history because it was her space of liberation, because I also knew breakups were a space of liberation for me. They were where I discovered myself. And 
it's interesting how you say when we go to the family dinner, let's say, for example, and everyone in a family always has a role to keep the system functioning. Mm -hmm. And we usually take that same role in romantic relationship and on goes the the merry-go-round. And what can happen, though, is when one has discovered the value or when one has discovered the value of authenticity at the cost of belonging, mm. we might call them the black sheep of the family. Mm-hmm. What they're really doing is inviting the family to be liberated from its toxic unconscious systems and patterns. And did that. we might not succeed. Did it work? <laughs> Um, it, yeah, yeah, everything, I mean, it always disassembled works. a little bit here and there and little by little. Yeah. I think I, I shined a light on some things for sure. And some people don't want to see the light, but yeah, it's, you know, it's just harder and it's lonelier, mm-hmm. right. When everybody has to see everything and it feels shitty, right. but I was just like, yeah, no, I'm getting off this merry-go-round. And I was right. I was suddenly, I went from being the most loved and whatever to the black sheep and cast out, but I couldn't live in that, that space. Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird you get cast out, but yet you feel free. Like that. Oh, yeah. No, my life soared. <laughs> Took right. off. And yeah. that's true of anytime anyone is liberated in relationship, but it doesn't really matter if it's mm-hmm. in relationship, just start being themselves fully. Yeah. The world catches you. There's a crazy, you are celebrated for it. It's a really, because all of a sudden you find your other people because, you know, in, in the work of Carl Jung or uh, Francis Weller, they would call a community of people who value one's mistakes, an initiated community that they've actually gone through mm-hmm. initiations themselves and really initiations are things that move us from being adolescents to adults. And so something like a relationship ending or divorce, where normally our community might say goodbye, like we don't value you anymore because you broke this agreement. An initiated community would say, come back and teach us what you've learned. Mm -hmm. I mean, imagine if we sat down, the people who have been divorced, gone through betrayal, betrayed, lied, sabotaged, and we sat them down and we say, we love you, teach us what you learn. Like it, it would cancel culture is not this, right? It's not restorative. It's, it really threatens, it's the ultimate threat of belonging. And you see that occurring all the time. People mm-hmm. are afraid to actually share what they really feel. The current circumstances of the world have created, if you have any alternate opinion, yep. you'll be cast out and your belonging is threatened. It's weaponized constantly against us. And so to speak your truth, I mean, especially now. Harder than ever. The hardest. And that's why it always needs to be met with this giant amount of compassion that says, of course, we understand why it might be hard or why, for Kelsey, you said it might be hard to express what you're feeling. Well, you're doing something that maybe for hundreds of years in your lineage, maybe thousands has never been done. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you look at it from that perspective, Queen on, you know, that's it. (laughs) Queen on. I know. I I had a divorce family members and I just kept saying to everybody, I go, why is this so hard? Mm. So many people in our family have gotten divorced. Just look at it like that. We are divorced. Just because we're siblings doesn't mean that I'm supposed to endure abuse or deal with all the things that I had to deal with. Goodbye. Have a great life. I wish you nothing but the best, but stay the fuck away from me. And why is that so taboo? Mm. 
It's a good point too that we can do that with, you know, it doesn't have to be a romantic partner. No. Just like you can do it, like you said, with family members. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, and then also how about your entire family when they're gaslighting you, telling you the sky is pink when you're like, no, 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 it's blue. <laughs> like it's actually blue. Yeah. And so now I can't be around you all because you're trying to gaslight me and make mm. me think the sky is pink. So yeah, I, I, I'm not going to live or succeed or be healthy in any kind of way if I'm letting you, the mob, run my life because that's what it ends up being is a mob. Mm. And Amen. so um, I'm still trying to figure out my unmet need, but I think I think my unmet need was safety yeah. and I wanted to be rescued from my family. <laughs> So oh. that's why when I met Kevin, he instantly went into rescue mode. We both have, we're a trauma bond relationship. Um, and I he, mean, they all are till they're not. Really? Ooh. I mean, yeah, most relationships are codependent till they're not. Okay. Know? So what does that mean? Till they're not. Till we both realize our pattern. So mm-hmm. if you're someone who identifies, and I'm not speaking for you, but just saying like, if you have someone who is rescuing you, Mm -hmm. then unconsciously you have to identify in some way as someone who needs to be rescued. Mm -hmm. And so there will come a time when your partner in that type of dynamic needs to take a step back from over-functioning and trying to save and allow you to step into the space of saving yourself. And so his identity as being, which is very male and very gendered for us, is save the princess in the tower, be the knight in shining armor, be a good provider. At some point, we actually have to take a step back and allow the other individual to step up. And so that requires us removing our identity as the savior. Mm -hmm. Because what a beautiful identity that is. I don't have any shit. My poop's in a group, you know? (laughs) I love that. Well, and I identify a lot with that because of my, our previous role, um, for my, my fiance and I, we were in a relationship for five years, then broke up for a year and then got back together. And in our previous, we like to call it 1.0, we, it was very much, I remember having a conversation with her saying, like, if, if it requires that you feel broken to be in this relationship, then this relationship needs to die. As a first-time mom with a baby, I'm always on the go, whether it's running errands, getting my coffee, going to doctor's appointments, or just spending quality time with little Athena. And that's why I rely on wonderful pistachios to keep me fueled and ready for anything, no matter where I am. Kevin even keeps us bag stashed in the nursery. <laughs> you know, for the nighttime hunger moments. Wonderful pistachios comes in a variety of flavors and sizes, making them the perfect snack to have literally any time, whether I'm enjoying them during a quick break in between taping this show or I'm on the go and it's in the diaper bag. I do carry it in my travel bag and they're in my car. At this point, when I'm leaving the house, I think keys, wallet, wonderful pistachios. (laughs) Bonus, wonderful pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts with six grams of protein in every one ounce serving. So on top of all that, They keep me feeling satisfied. I'm energized while I'm juggling all this crazy stuff in life. Next time you're looking for a convenient and guilt-free snack, head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com and stock up on your favorite flavors today. Minus the sweet chili. At least in its current iteration. Because I personally don't feel like you don't need to be saved. You are perfect as you are. Um, And we can obviously improve how we show up as humans, but our wholeness is just birthright. It's given Mm -hmm. And it's being able to step outside of the identity, like I need to be saved or validated or whatever it might be Mm -hmm. and do that for myself first, which doesn't mean it's not valuable to have a partner who says you're so wonderful and, and, and kind and generous or whatever it might be. 
but we do have to learn how to give it to ourselves first so that the relationship itself is not the place where we source it. Because if the relationship itself is where I source, like you hear someone say, you complete me, or, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when you, when you left, I was devastated and you took a part of me though. That language is also important because what it indicates to me is that without them, there is a space within ourselves that only people can fill. And so we will search for a relationship for the puzzle piece that goes into that space. So we feel whole. So Mm -hmm. we feel loved. So I feel validated. So I feel chosen. If that's why I'm chasing relationship, then I will look for the person who identifies as being that. When I finally give it to myself, then I can choose relationship from a whole discerning place. And in relationship, like you're talking about, like for yourself and and your partners, Kevin, Kevin. you said, you can do all that within the relationship. Mm-hmm. You can identify roles. You can, as you guys were as you were saying about your experience, and then you just start to look. Where do you source power? Because that's ultimately what we do with our wounds is we source power. So you start to say, like he might look. Where do I pay for things or try to do things in order to just garner a little edge, a little edge, so that you owe me in some way. And you might look for how you create space for him to fix or save or do things, which is different than saying, hey, can you open this jar of peanut butter? Uh Right. Um, But more so like, how do you go into a space where you need fixing or healing or whatever it might be? Damn. Yeah, that's intense. Um, There was another word you used earlier that was interesting about... um, I don't know, it was like your community when you've gone through the same things. Oh, initiation. Initiation, which is what I'm assuming also connects a trauma bond, right? Because we've gone through the same things. We both had very similar situations, right? Well, trauma bond, yeah, is a bond of like longing, right? Mm. It's like you might have similar traumas, you might have similar experiences or your traumas match. But there's a chemistry that is beyond the... Like it's originally drawn from almost like that's where love bombing comes from, right? Mm, like that's where yeah. these rapid escalations of relationships come from. I don't know. Have you guys watched the Tinder swindler? No, no. Oh, it's on Netflix and it's a documentary about a, a swindler. Oh, and it's very good. But what's really interesting is to observe the language of the woman who there's a f- quite a few women involved, but there's one woman at the very beginning of it who is speaking about how, you know, you just want to be a princess and you have this idea of being saved because of Disney, of course. Mm-hmm. This guy like flew her on a private jet on the first day oh. that they met, you know? And I'm like, that is such a classic red. I mean, that's one of the biggest red flags. That might as well be a base camp at Everest. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like any rapid escalations like that. Anyways, the trauma bond So stuff. The Bachelor isn't... Um you know, realistic. <laughs> right. So, right. so the, the, it was trending recently that it was like, um, you know, why are people still watching this with the same kind of eyes when, you know, after 20 seasons, only 10 couples have made it. Uh, barely. Yeah. <laughs> right. Which by the way, you could also argue that some of these couples perhaps are, are lasting because the money keeps flowing because them mm. together is a monetizable scenario. Right. Right. So anyhow, It's hard to separate all that unconscious stuff. Yeah. But that's, um, that's interesting. Um, 
you know, the rapid escalation. I, I, we didn't have that. Kevin picked me up in his beat up van and, and, you know, we definitely did not have no that. No private jets on no, the first No date. private jets on the first date. But, <laughs> um, but I do remember, and I don't know why, well, now I know why, but um, when I met him, I was, for me, it was, it was attraction. I, he was hot and he was, you know, just... Yeah. And so, so there was that, but then (laughs) once we got hot, he was, he was hot. Once we got past that, it was, um, it was fascinating when I was talking to him, he was saying how his dad had just passed of cancer and how he learned, um, different massage therapy techniques to heal him of his pain. And I was wow. like, oh my God. I'm like, you were like guy. sold. Like, like, if you could do that to pain, what else can you well, do? Well, no, I was just like, he's a caretaker. I'm like, done. This guy has uh, no yeah. idea. I'm going to make him fall in love with me. <laughs> I was a 40, I was 40 pounds heavier college kid. I'm like, oh, he's done this guy. I'm going to totally swindle him. And so I swindled him <laughs> into falling in love with, with me. With a charm. But I didn't know why at 19, I thought a caretaker was so important. Mm. Now, again, if he wasn't hot and I wasn't attracted to him, maybe none of this would have happened. But um, but then, you know, fast forward, and that's really, like, been a, a massive role he's ended up having to play in different scenarios with, you know, brain tumor and all these things that have gone on. Um, but it's interesting because I watched my mom be a caretaker to my dad. Mm-hmm. And I, I see how much we've kind of modeled our relationship with my parents, right? Mm. My dad was the star. My mom was the caretaker. Now I'm oh, the wow. star. He's the caretaker. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, I don't want to negate or dismiss how important the skill of nurturing is and kindness and respect and empathy. It's when it comes at the cost of themselves that it's actually a way of sourcing power. You know, like if there's resentment in having to do it, then, you Mm -hmm. know, it's overextension or it just needs to be cleared. You know, it needs to be said, like, I'm doing this, but it feels like I'm giving too much or I'm not taking care of myself. I mean, that's the classic sort of cost of anyone who overfunctions and caretakes. Oh, he overfunctions and overcaretakes for everyone in his life. Yeah. Like period, end of story. Yeah. He is completely drained, which is where we were earlier this morning. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, he's just cooked. He can't even like sit up. So so then what do you do, Mark? <laughs> well, there's a great book called Dance of Intimacy by Harriet Lerner. Okay. And he's an incredible teacher. Uh, and that talks about overfunctioning and underfunctioning. Because wherever there's an overfunctioner, there's an underfunctioner. Um, and the, who so I'm the, the underfunctioner? You might not be, but perhaps other people in his life are. You know, it's always hard to talk about someone who's like, poor Kevin, he's going to hear this. <laughs> My, but the the way out is really recognizing if you're exhausted, your resent, resentment is 100% all the time. You know, when people are like 99 point, no, this is 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. Resentment is a reflection that you are not prioritizing yourself, yep. that you are making other people or things more important than you. Yep. And so it's just a sign that we haven't turned towards ourselves and really over-functioning caretaking codependency yeah. is really a survival strategy that we learned at kids. We probably yep. had the role in our family. Yep. And so it makes it so we become needless, but we are not actually needless. We just become needless as a way to survive mm-hmm. because no one would have attended to our needs. Maybe yep. we took care of our little brothers or sisters or whatever. Well, everyone be. else is louder. So then you get smaller, right. neglected. 
Right. And then your your role to source value is to go out and give and do the caretaking. Yes. But ultimately you're never attended to yourself. So when you resent other people for having needs or whatever it is, you really resent yourself. You resent that you're not able to take care of yourself, be present mm-hmm. to yourself. It requires stopping. Mm-hmm. Like it requires what is the pain in the space between where you do too much and where you are just standing still. And what you'll realize is the line is so much further back than you think it is. Like the line of where yourself actually begins. Like I definitely was more of an overfunctioner. I'm also, I was very much such an extrovert, always busy, always relating, always out doing things, always out playing sports. And when I started to date Kai, she's very much like chill, more introverted, and I was like, man, she's kind of on to something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, I say all the time, FOMO. people come into FOMO. our lives and almost become that balance beam for yeah. us. So it's like, you need a little of her. She needs a little of you. Exactly. That's what I talk about all the time. Like I, I'm such an extrovert. Kevin is like recliner man. He just wants to sit <laughs> on that recliner and just eat the pizza, watch the TV. I would never have watched a single TV show or a movie in my life. Mm-hmm. Period. I'd be out in nature, running around. And so I was like, oh, this is kind of fun, actually. I kind of like this. No, I don't want too right. much of it. Right? I can't handle too much. Balance. There's a balance. But I do think that that is a really cool thing when you can actually recognize that sometimes, like my best friend, we're complete opposites, but I need some of her and she needs some of me. Exactly. And our friendships, again, can have a similar mm-hmm. pattern. Like where we, if we're someone who's codependent over functioning, we might be in relationship with people who take advantage of us. Mm-hmm. But even that, that language, no one can take advantage of anyone who doesn't allow themselves to be taken advantage of. It doesn't mean... And it's not meant to say we are not the victim of circumstances because we certainly are. Uh, But it does say that we are responsible once we have awareness Mm -hmm. to rescue ourselves from everything that pulls us away from our presence to ourselves. I mean, that Mm. ultimately, I always just ask people, are you in integrity with the knowledge that you have about how you orient to the world? And most of us aren't. Most of us yeah. have so much knowledge about how we could be better at relationships, how we could change, what behaviors are more constructive to the life we want to create, and we're not doing it. And mm-hmm. if there's one thing that we can begin to at least explore is likely where so much of our pain comes from is just not being in integrity with our knowledge. And knowledge that is not integrated or implemented in our lives is useless. Mm-hmm. You can know shit and not change your life, yep. but you know it and you can't pretend you don't know it. It's like, you can't undo a lightning bolt to the soul. You just can't, you can't pretend you don't know. And you know, they say, uh, ignorance is bliss. That's so true. I totally agree. I wish I could go back to the times that I could do a tequila shot and dance on a speaker <laughs> and just be that, but I can't. Yeah. Because I'm too aware of what the tequila is doing to my body, why I might be doing the tequila, why I might be chasing a one night stand. Mm -hmm. And now I have just too much awareness. And I made a rule at around 32 where I said, I will always live at my highest level of knowledge. Like as soon as I learn something, I have to change. Oh my God. I love that. You know what it is? You were just going through this recently Mm -hmm. where your awareness is changing which means you're changing. Yep. And now 
things that you could have just skated through and done, you're like, ugh, I can't do oh, I that feel anymore. So icky. Right. And they affect me massively. Yeah. It's like yeah. Kevin, like Kevin can't go to a dinner with people. Like, like, okay. Scenario. I we're like a, Kevin. I don't even know. <laughs> no, you would love him. You would. So we're at a dinner, all uber wealthy people. Great company to be in, right? Very successful people. You can learn so much from them. But he gets so drained unless it's a creative group. For him, people talking about money and traveling and things, he could give two shits. He loves his pickup truck. He loves his target runs. It's not because he doesn't have as much as them or he's jealous. He just doesn't find it stimulating. He doesn't value it, yeah. And so he can't be in those kind of empty scenarios. It drains the shit out of him. I even have a hard time. I can kind of float through and just like, because I also, if people are fun, I can, I can vibrate with the fun and just be kind of, but I can only do it once in a while. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. But, um, you know, for me, I need stimulating conversation. I, this, which I get to get my cup filled every single day, which is nice. Um, but you know, once you have awareness, you can't do those kinds of things anymore. Like I can't go to a movie on a Friday night and be sardined with a million people. Cause Kevin's taught me, you can go Saturday morning at 9am and no one's there. I have an awareness. <laughs> That's a good movie hack. I didn't know. Oh that my one. God. It's amazing. <laughs> I never understood. I'd sit there in the movies and get so frustrated. People chomping in my ear or screaming at the screen or talking or being disruptive. Cause I'm like, this is like an experience. I'm here for an immersive, beautiful experience and you're ruining it. Now I don't have to have to be angry anymore. I can just sit there at 9am with, you know, with my peace. But, um, but a lot of people don't know that. And, um, there was something else. So when we were talking about over-functioning Kevin, um, I feel like (laughs) a lot of the women listening to this are those over-functioners, are those caretakers, are those people who are putting themselves last. So what advice do you have for them to make those healthy steps to prioritize themselves where, you know, their partner doesn't get defensive or feel that because it's, it's going to be a shift, right? Like Kevin, when he starts prioritizing himself, I'm like, Oh, oh, you don't, you don't want to come be my friend? Like, Oh, you're going to go write your script. Oh, all right, fine. Right. But um, but I know he needs to, right? That's his oxygen mask. He needs to go do these things. Um, how do we, how do we advise people listening to start to make those shifts and, and, and how to go about it? You're definitely right that it tends to be from a gender construct, more of a behavior that women have in relationship. Uh, and obviously with the changing roles and all the things in relationship that shifts, And I would say the feminist revolution, and there's a lot of contributing factors that have shaped how men show up differently today too, as well as women and and everything in between. From a survival perspective, it made sense. You know, the role that women had in a home in the 50s, 40s, 30s uh, was to really have to overfunction, have to caretake, have to take care of everyone. I mentioned Harriet Lerner. She's such an incredible teacher. She says in one of her books, she says that, you know, she gets asked all the time, why are women more interested in learning about emotions and relationships? And she said, well, if you look historically, every subordinate group has to learn the needs and nuances of the dominant group just for survival. So women had to learn how to dance with uh, unpredictable emotion and caretake those emotions and be 
on eggshells, which is a common yeah. sentence you would hear from women, uh, because if they didn't, they could actually die. And that is still potentially true today. And she talks about how that's why, like we've had to learn those things. And so naturally women are more socialized to be emotional too. You know, you look at studies where they tell people this baby's a boy, this baby's a girl. They immediately treat boy babies differently than girl babies. So there's part of it that's socialized. So the question, how do we go from something that might be so indoctrinated or ingrained in our mm -hmm. behavior and pay attention to our bodies? Cause our bodies are saying, I resent this, or I'm feeling depleted. I'm feeling depressed. I'm feeling anxious. Those are all really good signs that you're not attending to yourself. You know, ultimately depression is a defense mechanism to not feel, which sounds really weird because you're like in a state to depress, right? To depress feelings. Um, in the work from Hillary, Hillary Jacobs Hendel, she talks about that, that uh, anxiety is an inhibitory in that it inhibits us from feeling feelings. Mm. So usually the process goes, we have core emotions and that's joy, disgust, excitement, uh, fear, and I forget the other one. But what is important is that when we start to block those things, or we were always taught to block those things, when we don't feel them, we it starts to show up as anxiety, guilt, shame, and eventually leads to depression. Wow. So we might have all these warning signs that are coming. When you change the agreements of a relationship and the patterns of a relationship, you're going to cause friction. You know, like yeah. if all of a sudden you're taking care of everyone and then you're like, Hey son, do your own laundry. You know, your son's like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. What do you mean I gotta, <laughs> you know, you're inviting them to step out of their role as, as whatever a son might be um, or whatever uh, the, the children in the family might be supposed to do or the husband or the wife or whatever. Um, and so their role is shifting too. So there's going to, there's going to be some reorienting that has to happen. And I remember meeting this couple where the woman was like, you know, my husband, he's like started mountain biking and like, he's doing all these things. And she was really angry at him. And the more we dug into it, she realized that she was just angry that she wasn't doing those things, yep. that she wasn't prioritizing herself. And she was trying to get me to make it make sense that he should focus more on her, but she's watching him thrive, thrive, not because of her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But be able to bring this beautiful, thriving version of himself to the relationship. And of course, he's saying, like, go do the things you love. And really, as couples, we should try to find things that we can do together that are new, that are adventurous, because that's actually what happens is, is the mind associates the novelty of the event or the experience with our partner. Mm. So it actually brings back uh, newness and hey, it brings back desire, because ultimately, yeah. when we think, what happens in relationships over time is they often lose desire. They lose desire because we lose ourselves. You know, we start to see that our partner unconsciously, we tend to blame our partner for the loss of our own identity, oh but it's actually not their fault. It's that the relationship container itself. And what we've observed is that, well, when you get married and you stay together forever, you just stop having sex. That's not true. There's tons of couples that are still banging each other's brains out. So it's like, I don't know, that's a scientific term, just so we're clear. Uh -huh. <laughs> and in it, what's happening is that when you maintain individuation or you develop it, you start to create space between you and your partner. That space is actually where attraction lives. Like if you look at some of the work from people like Esther Perel, she talks about how 
in the moments where we see our partners in flow, when they're doing the thing they love, they're so attractive Mm -hmm. because they're in the zone. We're like watching them and it's not about us. There's something about why are we so attracted when someone is like, actually, I'm going to go hang out with my friends tonight or go on a hike or do this thing. And they don't invite us. And we're like, wait, what? Like, why are you not inviting me? And there's a part of us that really respects that they're holding that space for their own sacred time. And so when we start to restore the relationship to ourselves and make it sacred, we're actually starting to make the relationship a container that celebrates what is sacred which is the space between you and I. And this is true of all relationships. It just happens to be, we tend to want to do the work more for romance than any other. Uh, And once we learn it, you know, like I recognize that when Kai wants to go on a trip or do a thing, the relationship is actually a place that celebrates that she's doing that. So when you see Kevin start to do the thing, you might feel the space that is now created that requires you to feel something maybe you've never felt. Mm -hmm. But it also, you can celebrate that he's doing it and yep. recognize like, hey, like it, it can still have an impact on me. I can still be like, hey, like I miss you mm-hmm. when you're going on that trip. But I also really love that you're going on that trip. Yeah, those All those things can coexist. Um, a lot of the times when we step into growth, our partners are afraid. And they're afraid, one, because the agreements of the relationship are changing. That's mm-hmm. true. And so it's better that we discuss those things. And second, they're often afraid that we're going to grow away from them. And I think that's especially true for men. Mm-hmm. Um, men's, you know, if we're speaking from a heteronormative sense, men tend, their social support tends to be their partner. Mm. For women, it doesn't tend to be around 67%. I think it's something around there. Over 60% of the time when women have something emotional they're going through, they turn towards our, um, their friends. For men, it's only about 30%. Mm-hmm. So that means that the majority is actually turning towards their partner. And that's why when men lose a relationship, they tend to get remarried faster. They tend to not explore the space in between. They're more likely Ooh, to get remarried. Women and we think they're just assholes who didn't care in the first place. So they just <laughs> move that? on. I said, and we just thought that they were assholes that move on because they didn't care in the first place. Yeah, they've lost their social support when they wow. lose their partner. Mm. And um, you know, you kind of see that with older men that don't have a lot of friends. Uh, and that's why, you know, usually when, cause women initiate divorce more than men, far more. And from the first moment a woman says, Hey, I miss us. Or I feel like we're going through something. It's about two years till she leaves. But by the time she leaves, she's done. And, you know, and that's when the partner might say, and this could be any gender combination, mm-hmm. the partner might say, well, I'm ready to do the work. It's like, it's too late too, at yeah. that point. Mm-hmm. That's why we have to recognize these more subtle early signs that mm-hmm. are like, hey, I miss us. Hey, can we read this book? Can we take this course? Really what we're saying is this relationship is important to me and it's more important than the shame I have that I'm not showing up for you. Because I think, you know, a lot of the times for men, I'll speak for myself and I'll try to speak for my gender, that we tend to not, when a woman says, you know, I feel like, you're not communicating or you're not doing this. We, we don't really, we have not been socialized to hold inadequacy. We don't know how, um, especially when our whole role is to sort of hold it all together from like a more, um, mm. uh, I don't know, like night type of space, yeah. that type of energy, the idea that we might be letting our partner down, even though that's 
incredibly valuable feedback when you can begin to explore it. Uh, most of us are not socialized to even be able to explore that. It creates too much shame, and then we drink and watch football. Yeah. Well, then how do you, how do you dismantle the defensiveness? Well, defensiveness. I'm a recovering defender. Okay. Have, <laughs> this is a support group. I hope uh, <laughs> you're in a safe space. Safe space. Yeah, Mark. I feel it. I feel it. I'm a queen. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely, I, Mark. Uh, <laughs> Recovering from defensiveness. So there's four behaviors that are evident in all relationships that end in divorce. And the research from the Gottmans, when these four behaviors are evident, the Gottmans can listen to, in their research, which is really incredible research, they could listen to 20 hours of a couple talking and predict with over 90% accuracy if the couple will divorce. If they listen to just three minutes, three minutes, they could predict with over 80% accuracy if the couple will divorce. Wow. So that shows Who are the Gottmans? how important the words we choose. The Gottmans are like relational research godparents. They're wow. incredible. They're, they have a lab called the Love Lab in Washington and in, in near Seattle. Uh, it might be in Seattle. I feel like I've heard uh, that. I have to. Just, I think someone else has told us about them. Yeah. They have the Gottman Institute. Yeah. Okay. And so they've studied. They are really the bearers of most of, uh, a lot of marriage research. And- what they saw is those four things are criticism. So those are statements like you always, you never, those kind of things. Uh, defensiveness, which is really saying like, imagine if it came to me and like, you're always late. And I'm like, oh, you want to talk about being late? How about when, and mm -hmm. I like raise it another level. Mm -hmm. um, or you're like, hey, you were late. And I'm like, well, listen, my car broke down and then this happened and this happened. I can't just receive it and say, you're right. I didn't show up and I wasn't on time. Um, stonewalling, That's which me. is like hanging <laughs> up the phone, ghosting, running, shutting down, going to another room, making yourself unavailable. And the last one is contempt. Contempt is like things like rolling your eyes. Rolling of the eyes is actually the most predictive behavior of divorce. Oh. So there's all these, so these four things are, they exist in all relationships. Mm -hmm. It's just that they exist in high quantity in relationships that divorce. Uh, I think we all need to remember that these four things are really ways, as I said earlier, we protect ourselves from being hurt. Yeah. So that's, they're just defense mechanisms. So recovering from defensiveness is to actually say when you receive feedback, Ooh, it pairs really well with criticism and it's important that the person giving the feedback learns how to structure their language better. So saying things like, uh, in my experience, because that leaves room for yours, when this happened, you're talking about the event, how I felt was. So you're not saying anything else. You're really making it very objective and you're allowing for the other person to receive it and to validate it. And if they're, if they're healthy at communicating and the defensiveness when you receive feedback, like, hey, my experience when you were late earlier, it really hurt my feelings. I didn't feel important. I, as a de recovering defender, would say, I can see some truth in what you're saying. It's a good line. I like that. And saying that is hard. Mm. I mean, it's like, it doesn't taste good. It feels like you're eating your own shoe. It sucks. But you're in a conversation now you've never been in. Because every other time you got defensive and shut it down or you hung up a phone or you mm -hmm. left. And for the first time, you're actually still in a place where instead of someone hitting the ball to you and you just like stepping out of the way, you hit it back. And the other person might be like, wait, what? Mm -hmm. And you're like, no, you're right. I was late. And I would imagine that really was hurtful for you because I know this event is important to you. 
And the person's like, what the fuck is happening here? You know, like when we change our communication patterns, we're actually changing the dance. Mm -hmm. And then now it means that the couple or the two people are actually navigating a space they've never navigated. And that requires learning the skills to do it. And that we have just deepened the intimacy and connection and trust we have that when things come up, this container can hold it and it can process it and it can cook it and it can make us better. It can build trust. Cause if I say, Hey, you're right. I will do better next time. And then actually do better. Uh, I've just completely changed our relationship because ultimately all relationships, all of them, no matter the type, we are always unconsciously asking ourselves, is this relationship safe? And is it secure? And is this person reliable? If someone's not reliable, you're not in a healthy relationship. Wow. Um, I feel like we could kidnap Mark. I know. I agree. <laughs> virtually and just keep him on the show for like a lifetime. I agree. <laughs> That's how I felt after I talked to you're him. I was like, oh. friggin' brilliant. Yeah. I've interviewed a lot of people over two plus decades and you have a collection of knowledge of like so many different types of people that I've met along the way, all mixed into one. Mm. I think it's mm. really, really special. Um, I'm really glad that we got to have this conversation. And I think it's really going to be valuable to um, everyone listening, including me and Kevin, of course. Um, and so thank Kevin, you. Shout out to Kevin. Shout out to Kevin. <laughs> I might have him call you. And you can tell him how he's an over overfiller. Kevin can over- do that. The dating course with me. It's a dating. What is it, Mark? What am I doing? Dating 101. We don't need him to learn how to date. Well, I feel like he'll learn other good things in there too. Yeah. <laughs> no, maybe not. Wait, he's yeah. an overextender. Overextender. Overfunctioner. Over overfunctioner. Ah. I'm going to call him after this and diagnose him. Honey, you're an overfunctioner. That book is fantastic. <clears throat> Dance and Intimacy by Harriet Lerner. Wait, uh, I have Harriet Lerner. Dancing, what was it? Dance of Dance Intimacy. Of Intimacy. Of Intimacy. And Dance of Anger is really good for anyone who has a hard time expressing emotion and anger. Which we'll is be reading that. <laughs> you, you'll yeah. be both, baby. They're both <laughs> short books. They're really? like on Audible. They're like two and a half hours. But she oh, gives wow. tons of examples. And I mean, she's she's an incredible teacher. She's brilliant. Okay. Well, wow. we are going and they're to written for women. get those. Ah, but I read that. them as a man and I would recommend them to any man. Okay, cool. I'm really excited. Well, I want to get Kevin on his journey to not be an overfunctioner for me or for anybody because it just depletes him. But I know that there are so many people like him that are are suffering from the same thing. And so, um, so I'm going to get him on track. Especially usually, because... Usually what I say is, honey, now... Everybody else can get none of you. Obviously, I still get all <laughs> I of it. I will take all of it. Yeah. I'm like, so we can we can say no to everyone else but me. Remember at one point when he was like really drained? I was like, Kelsey, yes. leave him alone. I do remember that. I was like, nobody. <laughs> I said, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to do that. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's a great line from uh Robert Glover who wrote a book called No More Mr. Nice Guy. Oh. And in it, he said, if you don't stand up to her, she won't believe you'll stand up for her. Wow. Madison, your hand must be tired quote. taking notes today. <laughs> Damn. Well, I've always loved that one because what it says is that if you don't have good boundaries and you overfunction or whatever it might be, then people actually can't trust you. Like 
because they, they don't trust that you're not willing to sell yourself out for them, which means that they're just not trustworthy on a very unconscious, like lower level. Um, That's why when, you know, you first say no to someone or stand up, they're kind of like, Ooh, it's kind of hot. Like, I don't like that. You're saying no, but it's super sexy (laughs) because what it conveys is that you don't have to take care of them, that Mm -hmm. they, they have their own back. And ultimately that's what we're all working towards is to know that we can trust ourselves to have our own back when we're relating and to also ask for help when we need it. It needs both. Well, everyone, happy Valentine's day week. Um, (laughs) You can, you can check out create the love.com. There's a dating one-on-one course you can sign up for now. Kelsey is taking it. It says here, LOL. It says Kelsey is taking it. LOL. Yay. Um, (laughs) So create the love.com. The podcast, Mark Groves, create the love, make your heart make sense. And of course, Instagram, create the love. Um, I am um, so excited, a lot to process. Mm-hmm. And Mark, thank you so much. We will um, definitely be chatting again for sure. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for having me. You know, I'm always very grateful when someone trusts me with the people who trust them. So I really appreciate oh, your thank time. Thank you. All right. Well, well, well. Queenie. A lot to process. A lot to process. I want to listen to that over and over again. This is also a side note. Doesn't he kind of sound a little bit like Matthew McConaughey? Like a tiny, tiny bit. His little bit of twang. I don't know. I didn't get that. Okay, next. When you listen back to it. I just got that in the last little bit and I was like, whoa. Interesting. But I'm excited for that up. I feel like you take this, these, so, because, okay, I'm jumping ahead. When you hear all of this, you have these little aha moments. Mm-hmm. The way to not have them just be those fleeting moments where you're like, oh my God, light bulb, amazing. Yeah. And then you go back to work and you're busy. Right. Write them down, mm-hmm. the ones that you want to work on with your therapist mm. and actually make a conscious effort to attack these things. It's a really great advice because that is my problem. Exactly what we all do. It's like, oh my God, that was so huge. Yes. Oh my God, he's speaking to me. Yes, that's me. Mm. And then we go into our lives. And so some advice I'm using you as a catalyst to share this with everybody. We have to write down these things and we need to go work on them because it's never worth that moment if we don't just grab it. By the way, like he said, living in integrity with the knowledge. So if you have the knowledge, don't let it just sit on a shelf. Mm -hmm. We actually have to do something with it because we're charged emotionally now to make a difference and a change in ourselves. Mm. So really, really important findings. And I think that these are the things that will help us moving forward. So you're not 35 being like, oh shit, I never dealt with it. Right. And I'm still in this pattern. I do not want that. And I'm not living in integrity with the knowledge that I've been blessed with. Yeah. I think that's great advice. And I'm very appreciative because I think too, a lot of us, me included, think that like doing the work takes a lot and we mm-hmm. don't know what to do. Yeah. So instead of Friday night being with vapid people who are sucking your energy, <laughs> maybe you sit with your therapist and work on this. <laughs> Truly though. And guess what? You'll wake up Saturday and be like, <sighs> feel like so a whole new good. person. Well, what did yeah. he say? Living in also integrity with his highest self. He like, yeah. oof, I feel that. So yeah. like, I'm going to write my shit down. I'm going to yeah. write Kevin's shit down. I'm going to make him listen to this and then <laughs> I'm going to go work, go to work. Yeah. That's the whole point, yeah. right? If we're trying to better ourselves, when we get these moments where we're like, oh, shit, mm-hmm. that's me, or I need to work on this, 
And it should be exciting and not overwhelming, right? Because as he said, suppressing the emotions Mm -hmm. then equals anxiety. But here's the real reason. Mm, Tell us. So yes, that all happens and that's all true. It's, It's like I've told you guys in the office, like you can keep tripping over the cord. It seems easy to trip over the cord rather than to unplug it and move it to the right plug or something mm-hmm. like that. You can keep tripping over the cord, but that's exhausting every single day. You're like, you're butting up against it every day. Do the hard work for that few minutes, whatever it is, address it, fix it. And now you can move on and you feel free. Mm-hmm. There's no cord to trip you up constantly. So that's just like a, a little analogy, right? Like sometimes like we have to put systems in a place. It takes a longer day yeah. than we would want it to be. But yeah. then once that system is in place, Pooja, what, how do you feel after? So much better. So much more empowered, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you can move on to the next greater thing and yeah. keep growing. And yeah. so that is the key. Mm. So I leave you with that. Very long episode, but very much worth it. Um, like I said, mariemanunos.com for the blog takeaways of this episode. Um, of course, you can check us out on Better Together with Maria on Instagram and TikTok. Yeah, you still doing your TikToks over there? Pooja's doing the TikToks. Mm-hmm. Pooja, you still doing the TikToks? We're slacking on the TikToks, but we're gonna we're gonna come back. Okay, yeah. Pooja's coming up with a schedule, <laughs> so we're never in the slack mode. We are in the do mode, in the zoom mode, um, so that you guys can have all the content. And um, if you haven't left a um, Apple Podcast review, um, that would be really really wonderful. We love the support, um, Queen. A or Queen B will leave that in the summary so it's easy we'll for leave. you guys. Yes. Either Queen. <laughs> and Queen C was Mark. Um, well, no, I I'm love Queen. That. I'm one, okay. You're Queen He's A. He's Queen B. Yeah. That was fun. <laughs> what about Kevin? Oh, no. There's too many Queens. There's too many Queens. All right. And you're all Queens. And we love you. In the meantime, be nice people, make good choices, and be present. Hey, Heal Squad, we have been on quite the journey together, and we're hearing from so many of you just how much this show is helping you heal and get better, and it makes us feel so good. We love, love, love it, and we just ask that you don't keep it to yourself. Spread the message and share the show or your favorite episode with your friends. And if you want to help us even more, you can leave us a five-star rating and a comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and follow us on Instagram at Heal Squad. You can also DM us anytime because we love connecting with you. And finally, you can also join us on Patreon for our monthly live heal events with world-class healers and ad-free episodes exclusive only to Patreon and our Super Heal Squad for as little as $10 a month. So go to patreon.com backslash heel squad to join. Getting better isn't easy, friends, but as I say all the time, it's a whole lot easier if we can do it together. We love you all so much and we love doing this thing called life with you.